here with Missouri Farm Bureau. I'm Spencer Tuma, Director of National Legislative Programs. Today, we're continuing our episodes of the podcast where we interview members of Missouri's congressional delegation, and we're fortunate to be joined by Congressman Sam Grace from Missouri's 6th Congressional District. Congressman, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. We're really pleased to have you. I think this is the first time that you're a guest on our podcast. Uh, we certainly have a lot of listeners from throughout the state who are familiar with you and your work. Uh, but for those who may not be familiar, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and the work you do in Congress? Yeah, so I represent uh, the 6th Congressional District, which is all of northern Missouri. Um, 36 counties all the way across the state from the Kansas-Nebraska line to the Illinois uh, line there between the Mississippi and Missouri rivers. And, and uh, it's a great district. Um, it's the largest district in the, in the state, but it's a very agriculture district. Um, I kind of, I cut my teeth in Farm Bureau um, when I was younger, serving as the um, Aspen County president. I was on the Young Farmer Committee. Um, I was named... Uh, or won the Achievement Award, National Outstanding Young Farmer, uh, in 91 at the AFBF uh, convention. And, and I served as chairman of the Young Farmer Committee as well. So that's kind of what got me interested in politics and policy and, and uh, trying to make a difference when it comes to uh, agriculture policy. And I've been doing that for some time. I ran for the state legislature, uh, and then I ran for the state senate. And, uh, and won those two seats and then ultimately ran for Congress, um, which I have been uh, in that seat now um, since, uh, uh, since first running. So it, it, it's work that I love. Um, I got a degree in agronomy from the University of Missouri, um, specifically plant physiology. And, and uh, this is something that I never intended to do. I kind of backed into uh, uh, backed into politics, but it is work that, that I do enjoy. Um, particularly when it comes to helping people out and representing uh, a rural district like this. Um, agriculture, um, it lacks a lot when it comes to representation in Congress. There's only about seven of us uh, in the entire House of Representatives that has ever engaged in production agriculture. And so that makes it hard when you're trying to educate other members on why agriculture is important. You know, what the fact that we have the safest and most abundant and most affordable food supply in the world. And the fact that we can take our food supply for granted um, is, is probably what hurts us the most because, um, you know, it doesn't, you know, people don't ever worry about going to the grocery store and, and the shelves being full of, of fresh food. And that, so nobody ever has to worry about it. And that makes it that much tougher too when it comes to ag policy because people don't understand that this is consumer food policy. It's not just ag policy, it's consumer food policy. Absolutely. Well, we know that you certainly have a long history with Missouri Farm Bureau. Uh, before we get into some of our issue-based questions, I guess my first question is, what are your, some of your favorite memories from your time as young farmer chairman or, or serving in those various roles with the local organization? Um, probably the biggest thing is just uh, the, you know, the involvement in getting to know people from all across the state. Um, you know, farmers and ranchers all over the state, and particularly when it comes to the Young Farmer Committee, you know, we got we were very close. Um, the members that uh, that I served with uh, on the Young Farmer Committee, and, and uh, you, you know, you get to engage in idea exchange and, and learn new things all the time. And, and uh, uh, you know, it's it's uh, there's something that was very appealing to me. I went to my very first 
Young Farmers Conference in uh, 1987, I believe it was. <laughs> and uh, I remember going in, and Bob Heitzies and Ernesto Fretwell were doing legislative affairs. And, and I, I took the little short course that they did on, on legislative affairs. And, and they were trying to demonstrate just how involved you were. And, and they handed out this little quiz that, that asked who your member of Congress is, who's your state rep, who's your state senator, who's the governor. Um, who's your United States senators? And, and I remember at the time I couldn't answer any of the questions. And that's when I decided I better uh, I better get involved and be a part of the process instead of just complaining all the time. And, and so that's kind of what kickstarted me into deciding to run for uh, for state representative. And uh, you know, it's kind of it, it's gone on from there. Right. Well, believe it or not, we're actually still using that same quiz. Um, I, I, I've seen it. Uh, we've, we've reformatted it a bit, but um, it, it's good to know that, you know, a lot of things change over time, but a lot of things stay the same, too. Um, and I know, Congressman, that a lot of your family actually still farms up in Atchison County. Would you tell us a little bit about that as well? Sure. And uh, I do as well. Um, our operation is uh, my brothers and I, uh, my son is a part of it, and my father is still uh, very much a part of the uh, operation. It's a, a pretty traditional corn and soybean uh, operation. We've owned about uh, 3,800 acres um, up here, and, and we do have a, a cattle operation, um, which is mostly my father's uh, and my brother's. Um, I got started, actually, when I was young, when uh, you know, land was very hard to come by, and, and you were obviously competing with a lot of people when it came to uh, to rent. And I was short on capital and long on labor, and, and so <laughs> I went into the hog business. And uh, I raised hogs in partnership with my grandfather uh, at the time. He owned the facilities, and, and I provided all the labor. And, and uh, that's kind of what allowed me to get started in agriculture. And then as time went on, I, uh, I started acquiring more land. Uh, through both uh, purchases and, and through rental agreements, and, and so um, you know, kind of, it just kind of grew from uh, grew from there. But our family has been farming uh, in Northwest Missouri now for six generations, and, and my son is wow. the seventh generation, so we've been around a little while. That's wonderful. Well, I always really enjoy around, around harvest time and planting time. I always seem to catch pictures of your grandkids on the farm, and and you've got quite a crew of helpers, if, if I can say so myself. They they look like they are having a great time. Um, so, Congressman, moving more a little bit to legislative issues, you know, I know you serve as a ranking member on the House Transportation Infrastructure Committee. Uh, would you talk a little bit about that committee's work and the Water Resources Development Act that's moving through Congress right now? Sure. So, in uh, transportation and infrastructure, our jurisdiction is all transportation uh, modes. So that would include uh, inland waterways or barges, it includes pipelines, um, rail, aviation, uh, roads and bridges. Um, it also has jurisdiction over the Coast Guard and uh, uh, the Corps of Engineers. And so we uh, we deal in everything um, that uh, there's transportation. What's interesting, too, in transportation, we still have true trust funds. These are dollars that our user fees, like the gas tax, um, which is uh, goes into the Highway Trust Fund, the Inland Waterway Trust Fund, we have the Harbor Maintenance um, Trust Fund, we have the Aviation Trust Fund, and, and those dollars go into those trust funds and, and they stay there. Uh, they don't come out for, for other purposes. Um, and we do several reauthorizations. Um, right now we're in the middle of doing both wording, which you mentioned, the Water Resources Bill, and, and the uh, Highway uh, mm -hmm. reauthorization. 
um, and with WERDA, uh, which is very important because it deals with the reauthorization of all of our uh, inland waterway uh, policy. And so the biggest, obviously, that affects us in Missouri would be the Missouri uh, and the Mississippi River, um, two very different issues when it comes to the rivers. Uh, Missouri mm-hmm. deals more with navigation and flood control, which is what we fight year after year after year. And on the Mississippi side, it has more to do with, with uh, uh, locks and dams. That's the big issue, and, and obviously that affects uh, navigation um, and, and flooding over there as well. Um, what's interesting, though, is we have core districts in both Rock Island and St. Louis that I have to deal with on the Mississippi. And on the Missouri side, we have the uh, Omaha district, and, and we have mm-hmm. the Kansas City district. And they operate very differently. Um, there's a lot of economy within the Corps of Engineers, but they all operate very, very differently. Um, and obviously, there's a lot of attention paid to habitat uh, reclamation and endangered species when it comes to the Missouri River and the management of the Missouri River, um, as opposed to, say, the Mississippi River. And that's not as big of an issue uh, on the Mississippi. They do understand that the navigation and flood control are, are vitally important. That bill. Um, has passed out of the committee and passed out of the House, a very bipartisan uh, version of the bill, and that continues with the tradition we've had um, for the last several uh, years when it comes to wording. We're waiting the Senate uh, to act now, and we're kind of pre-conferencing some of those things, and hopefully we're going to have that bill done uh, in uh, this month, in September. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned the Missouri and Mississippi River, of course, huge economic engines and, and very important to local communities in our state. And, and you're fortunate, I think you're the only member of Congress, if I'm not mistaken, who has both waterways in your district. Is that correct? That is correct. I'm the only member that, uh, that represents portions of both. That's what I thought. So I guess, you know, the, the question that everybody wants to know the answer to is, Given the flooding that we saw last year on both waterways, how do you see recovery going, and, and what is in the WERDA bill that might help us be more ready for that kind of thing in the future? Well, there's there's a couple of different things, actually, that, that we're working on. And, and obviously, flooding, the biggest reason for um, the more floods that we seem to be experiencing is because of the change on management when it comes to the Missouri River. Mm-hmm. And we have the master manual, which has the seven different items, everything from it includes tourism and habitat or endangered species, you know, right up to um, uh, navigation and, and flood control and, and everything else um, that comes in between. And we continue to fight this battle because the river was originally designed, we built the reservoirs north of Gavin's Point. Um, that was designed for flood control. And it was designed so that we had plenty of capacity to be able to handle the, the uh, spring melt um, when it came to uh, uh, the snow. And what we would do then is when the river is traditionally um, low in the summertime, um, what we would do is release that water to maintain a steady, uh, you know, a steady flow. We'll be able to hold that water back if we had uh, rain events. And then we would slowly over time, uh, each year, we would clean out those uh, or draw down those reservoirs uh, up north so that we could handle, once again, the, the following cycle uh, to again capture all of that snow melt. Well, we're no longer allowed to, the Corps of Engineers at least doesn't manage the river based on uh, maintaining that, that level uh, on the river itself because you have so many other competing interests, whether that's fishing or tourism or whatever, and they tend to dictate what level they want 
um, those reservoirs. It's just like in the wintertime. You can't reduce the water because there's so many ice fishermen um, that it creates a gap below the ice, and uh, and then it falls in, and, and it becomes dangerous. So now we can no longer manage the river based on the way the system was designed, and we struggle with this um, every single year um, trying to play catch-up when it comes to major rain events or, or uh, whatever the case may be. And, and so we're working very hard to try to um, to try to correct that. Um, there's a lot of things in there that uh, in this particular bill um, that does help us as a result of just last year's um, you know flooding. And, and we have we have a couple of studies in there, and it's frustrating because we continue to study and continue to mm-hmm. study, and, and we need to see more action. But we do have prohibition of, of IRCs or inception rearing complexes, um, which is one of the best components that I put in the bill. Um, we have new construction authority for communities um, that face repetitive flooding events. We have we prioritize um, the flood risk resiliency assistance for, for community or communities. Um, there's new construction authority to rehabilitate federally constructed uh, pump stations. Um, we have new cost share language in there when it comes to uh, the interland or in the waterways trust fund. Um, we also allow for non-federal levies to be able to be uh, a part of the system and be able to access uh, uh, expertise and, and technical uh, data and, and uh, funding for, for their components too. So there's a lot of good things in there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as we've watched this process unfold since last year, you know, now really, I, I personally try to look at it as an opportunity to try to make things better given the events that have happened in 2019. And, and your office has been a wonderful partner in that effort. I know Farm Bureau has weighed in and, and many other stakeholders as well. Um, one thing, Congressman, I, I know this is not necessarily ag-related, and I, I had not really planned on asking this, but one thing I always find interesting when you're talking about your work on the T&I Committee is the airline industry, and that certainly suffered quite a blow due to the pandemic. Do you mind to make any comments on that situation? I, I, I just find that whole situation fascinating. Yeah, what we were faced with after the pandemic and, and ridership um, and travel, travel went to near zero for folks, and, and the airlines literally um, were seeing um, you know, some aircraft or some flights that they didn't have a single passenger on. Wow. So what we were faced with was the entire airline industry collapsing. And this is something that you can't, if you lose an airline or an airline goes bankrupt or they furlough pilots, it's not something that you just go out and rehire. You have to retrain in many cases. you got to find those individuals. And, and that's a long, very long, lengthy process. And the experience that we have uh, within the pilot corps um, in the airlines is, uh, is unmatched by any other country uh, in the world. And, and so to allow the airline industry to collapse as a result of, you know, nothing, no business decision on their part, but strictly because of the government, then, you know, they restricted travel and, and people were afraid to travel and, and it created it created a lot of problems due to no fault of their own. Um, we came up with a, a process to allow the airlines to be able to borrow money very, very cheaply um, from the federal government to try to, you know, to keep those uh, those pilots and um, workers um, to mm-hmm. keep pay coming for them and, and to keep them open. And we're slowly seeing a, a clawback from the airlines now, and, and they're starting to see uh, increased uh, ridership. But it's it's still going to be a long time before we, we climb out of this hole and, and uh, 
the last thing we need is for any of our airlines to uh, to go bankrupt because it would cripple this nation. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I always find your take on those issues in particular fascinating as a pilot yourself, but um, those are issues that I know a lot of our members are not exposed to regularly, so it's, it's interesting to hear that perspective. Kind of along that same line of the pandemic, how how do you feel that the pandemic has impacted lawmaking? What, I guess, what's it like to be a member of Congress during a pandemic? Well, it's it makes things that much harder because we do more virtual um, uh, interaction now than we do, you know, face to face. And obviously, you have to uh, abide by the, the guidelines and, and the you know uh, you know the separation and everything that we have to deal with, and that makes it hard. Um, you can do so much better negotiating when you're sitting with somebody and visiting with somebody rather than you know on on a TV monitor or, or a computer monitor or whatever the, the case may be. And so this has made it's made legislating much much harder, and it also ends up being because we vote in blocks now um, to keep the number of people on the House floor down. So one vote uh, in the House of Representatives will take an hour and 15 minutes just to get oh through Oh, my gosh. That wow. slows the whole process down. It was already slow. Mm-hmm. So now it's even less than a snail space, and, and you know, it makes it very hard when it comes to, uh, to getting things done. I can only imagine, you know, I've, I've watched several hearings during the pandemic where, you know, everybody is joining in via Zoom or via conference call, and that kind of comes right into our next topic, which is broadband deployment, which is something that we've seen uh, we've seen as an issue for a long time, but maybe has been highlighted or, or certainly brought to the forefront during the pandemic. I know your district has received some some USDA funding and some FCC funding, but what do you see on the horizon for real broadband? So one of the things that there is a if there's something good that's come out of this pandemic, it's, it's realizing just how vulnerable a lot of our very rural areas are and how underserved uh, they are when it comes to high-speed broadband. And when you have a lot of distance learning, um, you have a lot of uh, uh, interaction or, or virtual um, health care and those things in some of our rural hospitals, and, and we just simply don't have the bandwidth or the speed uh, to be able to keep up. So. There's, you know, we were seeing some release of dollars for um, rural broadband, and that was starting to ramp up. And now with the pandemic, you're seeing uh, a whole lot more, um, at least an increase in interest and uh, in dollars. So it's going to take some time. It's kind of like when we electrified um, rural America, and then, you know, we came along later and, and put telephones in, in everyone's home. Um, it took a little bit of time. We utilized the uh, Universal Service Fund, and, and we're looking to do the very same thing with rural broadband. Uh, and again, it'll take a little bit of time, but uh, I'll tell you what, though, it's, it's coming it's coming fast, and that's good news for all of us in, uh, in rural uh, Missouri. Well, we're certainly glad to see some movement. And like you said, if, if there's anything that has come that's good out of this, it, it's that we've recognized that there's a strong need there. And and I appreciate that you mentioned healthcare as well. Telemedicine is something we hear about a lot from our members. Um, Congressman, I, I know the last big topic I want to cover, because I know we, we're wrapping up on time here, but um, the livestock industry has really experienced a lot of volatility since the first of this year and, and certainly during the pandemic. Any thoughts on what's going on in the livestock market right now? Well, it's obviously been very tough on, on livestock producers and, and uh, you know, we saw in the uh, uh, 
uh, in the CARES Act, when we saw some relief, which, which I was pushing you know, pretty hard to, uh, uh, you know, to make sure that livestock producers were um, were taken care of. And it's, I tell you, it's just a, it's a tough thing. And when you, you, you know, we're slowly starting to see markets coming back. I see, you know, in, in pork, for instance, um, we're seeing uh, trade. And, of course, these trade deals are going to help out tremendously when it comes to, to livestock and, and meat production. Um, once we get them, you know, rolling, we have the, uh, uh, you know, our trade deal with Mexico and Canada, which is now in place, and, and uh, we're very close to a deal um, with China. Um, the president has been very tough when it comes to China, and China has yep. uh, taken advantage of the United States year after year after year, and, and he got tough with it. And, and you know, he's kind of broken. Now they are buying again, uh, even in the midst of, of walking through a new trade deal. So um, I think ultimately this is very good for uh, livestock producers and for grain producers uh, overall as well. But it's a, right now it's a tough business. Um, to be in, it, it just really is because it, it can be uh, so volatile. And the unfortunate part is, you know, traders at the mercantile exchange, they just want movement. They don't care if it's going up or going down. They want movement um, in the market to be able to uh, to make money. Well, obviously, when the price is going down, that hurts those that are actually out there engaging in the production of, of livestock. And, and uh, you know, that makes it tough as well. It's, it's a tough industry to be in right now. It's certainly been a really tough year for a lot of our members. Uh, Congressman, before we wrap up, I'll, I'll just we'll move to our Missouri Farm Bureau question of the week. Um, so today's question is, what is the best thing you can cook? And I'll, I'll qualify that by saying you have to make it from start to finish. What's the best thing you can cook? Um, that would probably be, I'm not, I'm not that great of a cook. Uh, to be uh, to be honest with you, um, but uh, it would it'd have to be a steak. Um, I can I can do a steak, and, and uh, uh, that's it. Though I can't do anything that goes along with it. I can make a steak, and I can make it pretty much to, to whatever you want, whether you want that rare, or medium rare, or, or medium, uh, or even uh, overdone. But um, that is something that I do enjoy is cooking on the grill. Well, there you go. Well, and at, at least you, you are honest about your skills in the kitchen. If you can't make knives, <laughs> that's okay. At least you owned up to it. So, um, Congressman, you know, once again, really appreciate your time and certainly appreciate you, your relationship with Farm Bureau, with our organization. Before we sign off, any final thoughts you want to share with our listeners? Well, Farm Bureau is uh, obviously very important to me, and I think that Farm Bureau does the best job of representing all ag interests. Uh, in the United States, and they have a very strong presence, obviously, in the state of Missouri and in uh, Washington, D.C., and I'm proud of that. In fact, I'm proud to be a member, and uh, always will be a member, and, and, uh, and you know, my association is uh, uh, is something that, uh, uh, you know, that runs runs real deep in me, and, and that means a lot to me. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time, Congressman, and enjoy the rest of your fall, and hopefully we'll be talking with you again sometime real soon. Thanks for joining us. Great. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye.